This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. A warning, this episode contains explicit language. We are excited. Why? Because we're ready to tell you about some of the shows, movies, and music we're looking forward to this fall. What we can't wait to watch, to listen to, to talk about, and hopefully to love. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. And today on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, it's our fall preview of some of what we're most looking forward to this fall. Here with me and Stephen today are co-hosts Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Hey, Linda. Hey, and Glenn Weldon. Hey, Glenn. Hey, friend. I love it when we're all here together. I just want to chat with everybody, but we're not going to do that. We don't need to do much except dive right in. So, Aisha, I'm going to start with you. What is your first pick? Well, one of my favorite filmmakers of the last decade or so has to be Yorgos Lanthimos. He is responsible for such delightfully bleak, (laughs) but but also very entertaining films like The Favorite, The Lobster, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And he is back now with Poor Things. Now, I had never read this book. I'm not sure if you all had either. It's by Alistair Gray. Cannot say I ever read it. (laughs) I haven't either. So I'm going to be going into this cold, but the trailer is out. It looks amazing. It is about a Victorian woman who basically is near death, almost death, maybe dead already, but she's crudely resurrected by this mad surgeon as this childlike innocent. And it's a story Mm. all about her discovering her own autonomy and her sexuality when she runs off with this con artist lawyer. Mm -hmm. The cast is stacked. It's Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe. Emma Stone is <laughs> yeah. the young woman, and Willem Dafoe is the sort of mad scientist. Yeah. Her her eyebrows are really her something. Brows. It's great. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you've also mm-hmm. got Rami Youssef and Gerard Carmichael. This is just like a very fascinating and interesting cast to me. And so I'm just like very excited to see this film and see where this goes and just how weird and interesting it's going to be because that's always what he promises. And even though these movies are often very bleak, there's always there is humanity within the characters and within the story that it's telling. So I'm excited for poor things. And yeah, there's humanity and and humor in all his stuff. It's a bleak humor, as you mentioned. And I am in for this guy. I always am. I I like it when he's grounded weird, like Dogtooth and Killing of the Sacred Deer and the Favorite. But when he gets supranormal dream logic anxiety weird that like in the lobster that's when i feel this guy most acutely can't wait for this yeah i i'm excited to see this one too all right so that is poor things uh coming out december 8th so we have a little while to wait but it'll get here eventually before you know it thank you very much aisha glenn you know i'm looking at the title of your first pick and i think how is it possible (laughs) that this could be glenn's first pick i would never have guessed tell me Right. This is Dick's The Musical. Uh, Gotta love that. Film is coming out September 29th. It's based on an off-Broadway play written by and starring Josh Sharp and Aaron Jackson. Do you guys, have you heard those names before? No, can't can't say I do. Okay. If you don't, I mean, they're huge in the New York comedy scene, especially the New York queer comedy scene. I don't count myself as a member, but I am 
a religious listener to the Los Culturistas podcast. That's the one that stars Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers, and they are frequent guests on that show. Yes. Those names I know. <laughs> they were also correspondents for a hot minute on The Opposition with Jordan Klepper, which oh, kind of came yeah. and went in a mm, season. Mm-hmm. So this is a musical in which they play terrible, privileged young men who learn they are identical twins and they try to get their parents back together. And parent trap. Parent, they try to parent trap their parents. And, and their parents, of course, being Megan Mullally and Nathan Lane, because of course they are, um, in this thing. <laughs> because it's the law. It's the law. <laughs> Yang plays God in this. Megan the Stallion is also there. Um, it's directed by Larry Charles. The music's by Sharp and Jackson and Carl St. Lucie and Marius DeVries. And look, I was already in on this. Um, but then I started reading this thing premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival or TIFF. And there have been some weird reviews trickling out of TIFF. Them shocked and offended pearl clutching and some what are mainstream audiences to make of the filthiness on screen. <laughs> and that, if you are scoring at home, is what moved the needle from, yeah, I'm looking forward to this to, I'm there, first day. <laughs> first row, <laughs> row central. That is Dick's The Musical, which is coming September 29th. I am excited to see this one, too. All right, Stephen, I want your first pick. I have so many reactions to this, and I don't know what all of them are. Yeah, okay. So my enthusiasm is measured and really based on one metric and no other. The movie that I picked here is Priscilla which is a biopic about Priscilla Presley based on the book Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley and Sandra Harmon. We're heading into award season. We're going to have to watch a lot of biopics. I am rarely excited about the biopics. But just last year, we watched this lavish Baz Luhrmann extravaganza about Elvis. Yeah, sure. Uh, And it was what it was. I kind of enjoyed it, actually. But Priscilla, which is a biopic about Priscilla Presley, promises to kind of tell that story through a different prism. And I'm interested in that. And what I'm most excited about is that it's written and directed by Sofia Coppola. And Sofia Coppola, very uneven filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, I have loved her work. I have been less dazzled by her work. I'm just curious. It feels awardsy. It kind of promises to maybe just tell a familiar story through a different lens in a way that I'm intrigued by. Since I'm going to have to watch it anyway, I have decided to be excited about it. So the film stars Kaylee Spaney as Priscilla Presley. Uh, I'm sort of intrigued by the casting of um, Euphoria's Jacob Elordi as Elvis. Um, I can't wait to hear his Australian accent pounded flat (laughs) to try to do Elvis. Um, After the kind of the bonkersness of the Baz Luhrmann Elvis. I'm ready to see that story through a different perspective. I've decided I'm all in on Priscilla. Yeah. Glenn is shaking his head. I don't know, man. I just can't join you there. I guess, you know what? If your bar is curious, I'm there with you. Yeah. I'm curious about the movie. I am dreading the discourse with a capital T and a capital D that we're going to be getting because, as we all know, Priscilla Presley was very young when she met Elvis. And I already know how we're going to have this conversation about how the movie frames her relationship with Elvis. So same with Glenn. They're with you, but we just got to be ready for the hot takes on the Internet because those are coming. (laughs) Maybe I'm excited because I'm almost never on what used to be known as Twitter. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I think that might change things, Aisha. Now that Twitter is dying, I think. I'm still seeing the discourse. So. <laughs> but yeah. I need to leave it. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> Maybe this will be just the just the little push you needed. Maybe the bottom line is we are curious about the movie and really look forward to not participating in any online conversations <laughs> about here, here. it. Yeah. 
<laughs> My first pick is Next Goal Wins. Mm-hmm. This is a film coming out in mid-November, November 17th, from director and co-writer of the screenplay, Taika Waititi. Now, where are we on Taika Waititi? I've loved not everything, but uh-huh. many things. I also picked this for the NPR uh, article where we did the preview. I, I picked this because I, I think he brings a very specific comedic sensibility to everything he does. He brings the same comedic sensibility to everything he does, which is what you want, which is what people who have a unique voice do. Yeah. But I think people started pushing back on this guy on whether or not that specific comedic sensibility fits something like the horrors of the Holocaust, as he tried to do in Jojo Rabbit. Right. Whereas this is a good place for me to mention – what this movie is about, yeah. which is it is about the American Samoa soccer team, football team, depending on where you're from, and the coach played here by Michael Fassbender. It is based on a documentary about this same exact story. And so here you have a sports movie rather than, as you mentioned, Glenn. A Holocaust movie. Go ahead. So here he's back, as you mentioned, he's back on home turf. He's got a whole new formula to play with, right? The formula he's playing with here is the sports movie. So even though I hate sports movies, I'm all in for this. I, I enjoy sports movies and I love a story about a, like a lovable loser. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I've been fascinated by losing in sports ever since I coached the Onion softball team to a sizzling 21 and 42 record. I've already kind of enjoyed the marketing for this film. The, there's a, there was a giant standee at the movie theater I went to last night, kind of advertising this film, like listed some of the awards that Taika Waititi has lost. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, which I thought was sweet and cute and funny and kind of in the spirit of what I think we like most about his comedic sensibility. I'm in on this one. Yeah. So again, that is Next Goal Wins, directed by Taika Waititi, uh, bowing November 17th. Aisha Harris, we're going to go back to you for your second pick. Tell me about it. Well, funny enough, my next pick is like my first pick, uh, also based off of a book I have not read yet, Uh, but I am very, very curious about it. This is called American Fiction, and it is based off of a novel from 2001 uh, called Erasure by Percival Everett. Now, this is written and directed by Core Jefferson, who is someone who I have had my eye on for quite a while now. He was a writer, editor at Gawker. Yes. R.I.P. Gawker. Uh, I know it still exists, but (laughs) the original Gawker. Gawker 1.0. Point taken. (laughs) Yes. So I, I knew him from that. He's a really smart writer, thinker. And then he you know, became one of the many people we know now who were on that like media writer, critic, journalist to screenwriter, director, filmmaker, artist pipeline that is very much a thing now. Um, and so he has had his hands and his fingerprints all over some really great shows from the last few years, including The Good Place, The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore. He and Damon Lindelof won the Emmy for writing for one of the episodes of Watchmen. I feel like we're in good hands here with this with this movie. So the plot of the movie, it starts Jeffrey Wright, who plays this notable Black author who unwittingly finds himself some huge success by creating this novel full of Black stereotypes. And so he has to, like, contend with this monster he's unleashed. It's giving, you know, Bamboozled, Spike Mm -hmm. Lee's movie. I'm all in for it. I think it's going to be really fascinating. And again, I have to say the cast, not just Jeffrey Wright, but you've got Tracy Ellis Ross, Erica Alexander, Issa Rae, Sterling K. Brown, and so many more. Like You didn't even mention Leslie Uggams, and I am so here for the Uggazons. Leslie Uggams, I, you know, June is busting out all over. Love that woman. I was going to say that. (laughs) 
I only wish the movie were coming out in June. <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, so I'm just excited for this. And and I think it's going to be, uh, it's such a hot topic right now. But I think in Core Jefferson's hands, it's not going to feel like like just trying to take this moment and, and build off of it in a way that feels icky. He's very smart and this cast is very great. So I'm excited. Yeah, and great for getting Jeffrey Wright front and center, which is where he belongs. He's great. He's a great ensemble yes. actor in Wes Anderson films and in Westworld, but man... He deserves a spotlight. Yeah, that is American fiction. It is coming out November 17th. I'm excited to see that. All right, Glenn, you know, I look at this title and I think, I'm not surprised. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, here's another one. This one's a book. It's called Comedy Book, colon, How Comedy Conquered Culture and the Magic That Makes It Work. Uh, It's by Jesse David Fox. And just real quick off the top, speaking as a nonfiction author, Subtitles are hard work. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Don't don't hold that subtitle <laughs> against him because dollars to donuts, that subtitle was something the publisher came up with. But it is by Jesse David Fox. He does the podcast Good One, which we've talked a lot about on this show. And he's a comedy critic for Vulture. He's a damn good one. And I'm looking forward to this book both for what it is but also what it's going to represent. It's a statement of principles that the field of comedy criticism is real and it should exist, which to a lot of comedians, Mm -hmm. you know, that's wrong. It shouldn't exist because the old school approach to comedy, particularly stand-up comedy, is that one can have only one of two reactions to comedy as an audience member, which is to laugh or shut up. Yeah. For years, they have believed that their art form is unlike any other art form in the history of the world, which is that it should not be subject to critique because whether or not it gets a laugh is the only metric they care about. And what that misses is something that no artist can afford to miss, which is that a lot of the time the pushback they're getting is not coming from a place of some kind of affront or offense. But increasingly, especially with stand-up, with the conviction by fans of the art form that what you're putting out, dude, is lazy and you're leaning on things like stereotypes. And when getting a laugh is your only meaningful metric – you don't stop to think about what that laughter is resting on. And that's a long windup to say that is something that Fox is really good at in his writing at Vulture. He is a true critic, a true appreciator of the form. Yeah. That's why this comedy nerd right here is looking forward to Comedy Book by Jesse David Fox coming November 7th. Yeah. I, I like I really like Jesse. Yeah. And I'm I'm a comedy person, but I'm not like a deep, deep comedy person. Mm-hmm. I don't read everything about comedy, but he's the one writer on comedy that I, I can always go to for some very sharp insight yep. and, and understanding of things I might not understand. Well, and that's and yep. boy, that like do you laugh or do you not laugh is such a tiny component of what makes comedy work. Exactly. I mean I've I've worked adjacent to comedy for many, many years and Anyone who's good at that craft is thinking about why things work and don't work. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. I, I'm excited about this one. Yeah, I'm going to read that one, too. Uh, again, comedy book. Can't wait to read it. November 7th. Stephen, we're going to go to your second one. You have chosen... Imagine this. Music. I have chosen some music. Well, one of the biggest music stories of 2023 is the... Uh, really unanticipated chart dominance of country music. And so it seems like a perfect time for a new album uh, from the country awards-giving industry's favorite artist, uh, Chris Stapleton. He has a new album coming out November 10th called Higher. Let's hear a little bit of the song White Horse.
Is it 1993? This is the thing about country music. Country music <laughs> does such an interesting job of kind of synthesizing other genres. Literally synthesizing. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes doing it really interestingly and really and really well when i was falling in love with country music in the late 1980s i was obsessed with stuff like steve Earle, you know which kind of brought in a lot of southern rock or lyle levitt who brought in a lot of folk katie lang who brought in a lot of kind of classic patsy klein style you know torch singing that's the country music that i find the most interesting and one thing about chris stapleton is he really taps into a lot of like big classic rock a lot of old soul and does it with a voice that's really rich and ingratiating and soulful. Uh, he's just like one of the most respected and beloved singer-songwriters working in that industry. And so this record promises to be, A, very heavily decorated, and B, very popular. All right. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Chris Stapleton's album, Hire, is out November 10th. I am going to bring us home with my second pick. Look, I have not seen the fifth season of Fargo yet. Um, the fifth season of Fargo is coming on November 21st. This is the Noah Hawley TV series that follows up on the Coen Brothers movie. It has repeatedly kind of reinvented uh, itself in different worlds, sometimes in different time periods. This season, one of the things they've done so well on Fargo is that they have brought in kind of different people to operate in different seasons, and they have brought in casts that have varied and been of kind of, I think, varying levels of success, but sometimes super, super high hit rates, you know? I have not seen every episode of Fargo. I think there's a season or two, maybe even in the first four that I have skipped. But let me tell you a little bit about the cast of the upcoming fifth season. You got your John Hamm. I don't know if you know uh, Mr. John Hamm, but he is a handsome actor who is also... Hello, gorgeous. Who is also uh, a very talented man. Uh, you got your Juno Temple straight off of yeah. Ted Lasso. Success. I've already been told that I uh, I need to form a strong opinion about her Minnesota accent. I already have, uh, but that's doing it. Joe Keery, who is one of the legit discoveries of Stranger Things, mm -hmm. right? I don't love everything that has come out of Stranger Things, but Joe Keery, who plays Steve, who kind of started off as a bit of a kind of a one-dimensional, almost like a cute himbo kind of dude, who has kind of grown into, with Maya Hawke, a kind of a second center of gravity for that show in a wonderful way. Love Joe Keery. Jennifer Jason uh -huh. Lee, right? <laughs> Come on, yeah. man. Yeah. Also, Lamorne Morris, who I have liked in a variety of different things, and I'm always fascinated by the selection of projects. I think Noah Hawley mostly has done a really good job setting these seasons up. And this is a show that when I love it, I really, really love it. That Gene Smart mm -hmm. season. So again, Fargo season five coming November 21st. That's my pitch. It's a great pick. Um, and because I will watch anything Noah Hawley does because he managed to carve out a show with its own distinct sensibility apart from the movie that the show yeah. is ostensibly based yeah. on or at least yeah. inspired by. Remember how skeptical yeah. we were? Yeah, everyone was skeptical, rightly so, I think. But also the show he did for FX called Legion mm -hmm. was low-key the weirdest thing on That's television so for all of its seasons. And uh, I, it was just breathtakingly – uh, innovative and fun. And here he's a little bit more constrained by the genre constraints, but I love it. Love everything he does. And it helps that it's an anthology, right? So even if every season doesn't yep. hit, 
there's still a chance mm-hmm. that another one might, exactly. uh, depending on the all the elements involved. So Absolutely. It is one of those shows that tends to be an actor showcase. And I love yeah. an actor showcase, which is not to take away from the writing or the craft, the other crafts that are involved. But it is an actor showcase and tends to be a writing showcase. And right now, during this labor dispute that is has been so hard on writers and actors, I am absolutely delighted to be able to, at the very least, celebrate great work by writers and actors. So tell us what you are looking forward to uh, watching or listening to or reading this fall. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what's making us happy this week? This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at betterhelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week. And let's face it, every week, what's making us happy this week? Glenn Weldon, hit me. What's making you happy this week? Okay, well, I took a vacation trip to London for a few days, and I was wondering what book I should listen to on the plane, on the way over, on the way back. I chose very wisely. I chose Stephen Fry reading his 2017 book, Mythos, which is his retelling his take on Greek myths. And look, this isn't some great revelation (laughs) I mean, Fry, to listeners of this podcast, is a known quantity. He's a very funny writer. He's a very funny performer. He is an expert narrator. He's also fascinated by history and by language in particular, which made this book just his wheelhouse. So you get the familiar Greek myths through his very British sensibility. But I haven't seen this done a lot. He lays them out in a very strict chronology so that they all seem like part of one continuous serialized history instead of like – as most of us get them as like little standalone tales. Right, and he's right. imbued them with cause and effect so that one story casts ripples into future ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also only too happy to take very long discursive dives into how the names of all these characters, the naiads and the gorgons and the gods, have infiltrated the English language. There's something very chewy about that that I just find incredibly satisfying. Plus, not for nothing, it's Greek myths. It's queer AF. It is hella queer. It is Hellenic <laughs> queer. Um, so while outside me was cramped on that plane and guzzling my little tiny carton of wine, inside me felt very expansive and warm and erudite and plummy and tweedy like an Oxford don sipping a dry sherry while casting an eye through the leaded glass windows at the strapping young lads punting on the Thames. I 
Can't recommend this enough. This is Mythos by Stephen Fry. <laughs> okay, European Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Thank you, buddy. Um, all right, Aisha, I'm going to go to you. You are not required to do voices, I'm just going to say. <laughs> I, I am not going to, and I have not been to Europe recently. So I am uh, currently very obsessed with Victoria Monet's debut studio album, Jaguar 2. Steven, I know you know who Victoria Monet is. That's a good one. Um, yeah, she's been putting out singles and EPs for a while, including The Great Jaguar, which preceded Jaguar 2. And of course, she's been writing hits for people like Ariana Grande, she worked on Thank You Next, and she co-wrote Seven Rings. She knows how to craft a good pop song, a good earworm. And her entire album is a great earworm. It is drawing from the 70s, from the 90s, soul, R&B. There's a duet with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes, I love it. But I'm especially obsessed with On My Mama. I'm so deep in my bag like a grandma with a peppermint. They say, oh, she smell good. That's just because I'm having sin. Sex game goes stupid. I fell in love with it in part because of the visuals. And I think the visuals for the music video, it's fantastic. The choreography is by Sean Bankhead, who has been kind of killing it lately with all of these, especially female music videos, including Normani, Megan Thee Stallion, Cardi B. And the choreography in this is probably, I don't, it's hard to pick, but I feel like this is like his top three of what I've seen of it so far. So everyone should just check out Jaguar 2 by Victoria Monet and especially the On My Mama song and video. Furiously co-signed. Yes. Thank you very much, Aisha Harris. Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week? Well, this would have made my cut for the fall preview if it had come out just a week later. Mm. An album out today by the Canadian band The Beaches. Now, The Beaches have been rattling around for a few years, and somehow I don't know if they've evaded my attention or if I've heard them and forgotten. They put out a single this year from this record. The album is called Blame My Ex, and the song that I want to play, which has been out for a few months, and it, which is completely and utterly irresistible, is called Blame Brett. I like that. Steven, I have to tell you, when we were first becoming friends, you used to send me a lot of music. Mm -hmm. And when I listen to that, I think this is the Stephen Thompson sends me the pipettes kind of of angle a little bit. You used to send me a certain amount of like very bubblegummy in a Mm -hmm. a great way. Very wry, very clever, very self-aware. Yeah. Uh, and unbelievably catchy. Uh-huh. First of all, the conceit of a song that's just like, I turned out like this, I'm probably going to do this, I'm going to mess up in a million different ways, blame my ex. But the fact that the song specifically names him, yeah. it's like, don't Brett blame me, it. blame yeah. Brett. Yeah. It's just, Brett is such a funny name to pick for that song. <laughs> if you like the, those 20 seconds, you're going to have such a fun half hour with this terrific little record. It's called Blame My Ex. It's by the wonderful Canadian band, The Beaches. All right. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Uh, Glenn, like you, I am calling out an audiobook this week. Um, mm-hmm. 
I know uh, the sports writer Joe Posnanski a little bit. I have podcasted with Joe. Joe has a new book out called Why We Love Baseball. Joe's book is 50 moments from baseball that are about why we love baseball. Here's the thing about this book, and I've been listening to Joe read it, which I think is the, you know, possibly the ideal way to enjoy it. One of the things that happens with sports writers, and especially with baseball writers, is that it can get very purple. It can get very romantic. You don't say. The crack of the bat. <laughs> Fathers playing catch with sons. Yes. So what I love about this is a potential like weakness in sports writing is turned around to be a strength and to be something where... Uh, you can just allow yourself the sentiment of loving a sport and loving to watch it and kind of this sense that, oh, my God, I love baseball so much. I have choked up multiple times while listening to this book. <laughs> and I will make one other point about this book because it is one of the things that I noticed first. Joe is meticulous about specifying the difference between a record in all of baseball, a record in Major League Baseball, and a record in the American and National Leagues, which of course does not include the Negro Leagues. Joe is and has always been a partly a, a person who is very committed to the history of the Negro Leagues. I do not miss that every single time he is talking about a record that does not include, for example, Josh Gibson. He will say that. It's a detail that I notice that I think is the kind of thing that makes me feel plugged into history books that, you know, are really trying to get things right that haven't always been gotten right. So that's the story. Uh, Why We Love Baseball by Joe Posnanski. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter. It's at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Aisha Harris, Stephen Thompson, Glenn Weldon. This has been an absolute joy. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Yay, thank you. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and Mike Katzif and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Have a wonderful fall full of wonderful things. And thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR.